Carolyn, I was thinking uh, this morning when I first heard Mark give that testimony, uh, you need to steal that from him this afternoon and lock it away someplace for your grandkids. Because there's going to be a time uh, that they're going to find screens and faith from the faith of their grandfather. And so be sure you snag that and just take it from you. Uh, I'm going to be reading uh, this morning a psalm portion of the psalm. I really like the book of Psalms. And I uh, was, this last week as I was reading the psalm over and over again, thinking about it, I was reminded that I used to do as a devotional activity a, a thing with the book of Psalms, and I, I, I would encourage you to do it. It's, it's fascinating. Basically, you just take one psalm a day. Not more, not less. Just one. Uh, some of them are really long, and you won't want to to do more than one, and some of them are short, and uh, you may be like, oh, I've got time for another one. It all evens out in the end. But just read a psalm, and then whether it's in your Bible or in a notebook or something, write down all of the attributes of God that are in that psalm. And just see what the psalmist, the people who wrote these things, were trying to tell us about God and who God is. And uh, also know that when we read these, we know certainly that Jesus read the Psalms. He quoted from them often, even. And so, as we read the Psalms, we are literally reading the words that Jesus read. Uh, it's Psalm 145, verses 13 through 16. Um, I think I'm just going to read it from the screen, because the Bible that I'm holding this morning is a different version of, than what's on the screen. And I'd like for us all to be able to, to read along together. Otherwise, sometimes the translation is Your kingdom is a kingship that lasts forever. Your rule endures for all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all that he says, faithful in all that he does. The Lord supports all who fall down and straightens up all who are bent low. All eyes look to you, hoping and you give them their food right Opening your hand and satisfying the desire of every living thing. The word of God for the people of God. God. And God give us word, wisdom, and courage for interpretation. May God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Over the next last week, we uh, open up this sermon series uh, free spending our time and money on what matters most. And you know, I sent out homework to you uh, over the week, and you'll get more this week. Look for that Tuesday afternoon uh, is when you should be getting that in your email inbox. If you wanted it and you didn't get it, that's because we either don't have your email address or we have it entered incorrectly. And so what I would like for you to do is if you want the homework assignment and you didn't get it, Make sure that on a connect card, which are in the seat backs in front of you, you write your name and email address down, and then take it to Diane at the connection table outside in the lobby. Last week, some people were giving them to me, and I think they got to where they needed to be, but you don't want to hand me things on Sunday mornings. Uh, just, I don't even have enough wherewithal to be like, ah, you should find somebody else. It's just like, okay, cool, yeah, I'll take that, and then, and then I have to work really hard to remember what I said I would do with it. So. It's just my head is spinning sometimes on Sunday. So we, we talked last week about what matters most. 
and aligning our lives with our priorities. But first of all, we have to find out what our priorities are. And then I encourage you to write a personal uh, purpose statement as well as a, potentially a purpose statement for your family. And if you did that, I hope you found that to be a meaningful experience. This week, uh, we're going to talk about practicing gratitude and trust. And then we'll talk about believing we have enough, maximizing our resources, and living generously and spending wisely. So now you can all wake up and I'll start talking because you're like, getting lost in the plan. Mark Scandretti, who wrote uh, the book Free, Spending Your Money on What Matters Most, uh, which has inspired a lot of this sermon series, writes this. He says, gratitude flows from a sense of wonder and a bit of magic. Sweet flour covers the ground like dew. Taste me quail, settle on the desert floor. You go fishing and find two coins in the mouth of the fish, enough to cover you and your friend's yearly taxes. These are all amazing Bible stories that hopefully you all have read before. If not, go look for them. But if they sound too fantastic and unbelievable, how about this one? Anybody a gardener? Like grow? <laughs> Sue Georgie's a gardener. <laughs> Sue Georgie plants a seed, buries in the dirt, and over weeks and months, through sunshine and rain and wind, it grows into a carrot potato, or a tomato, or an onion, or a cucumber, or okra. And then she takes it and she puts it in a pot with some other ingredients, and out comes an amazing stew that she shares with her friends and her family. I want you to consider this. We are all well cared for. By a loving and generous creator. We live with abundance. Sometimes it's hard to remember that. And we think we live with scarcity. For us to be truly free to spend our time and our money on the things that matter most, I think we should spend some time examining the evidence that we actually live in abundance instead of scarcity. And then we have a loving and caring provider who provides for us all of our needs. So, this morning, you all woke up. My guess is you were sleeping in at least a semi-comfortable bed. And depending on if you were sleeping in the same bed with someone, you may have been the right temperature or you may have been too hot or too cold. You probably got up and would have been able to find something in your house to eat if you were hungry, and if not, you knew you could find something to eat here. Some of you probably made coffee or had tea. You put clothes on, obviously. Some of them are even clean. When you leave this place, you're reasonably sure that you've got at least more meals and potentially even some snacks coming your way. And the reality is, for a lot of us, all of our days have been just like that. 
We are provided for. We are giving, given everything that we need, and on a global scale, we have much more than we could ever, ever, ever need or ask for. But even at that, we live with a sense of insecurity for some reason. We, we act like we're not sure where our next meal is going to come from. We gather our stuff and we kind of hoard it together. But if we look around, we can see even more evidence that there's this God of abundance who continually, continually pours out things on us that we need and even great things that we don't need. For example, we get to have meaningful time with friends. We get to listen to music. We live in this town where if you look east about the time the sun is setting and you look west about the time the sun is setting, you get beautiful views either direction at sunset and at sunrise that remind you that there is another day and there is a God who loves us and will give us small things to remind us that God is there and present in our lives. You can look around and see all kinds of different people, different shapes, different races, different ethnicities, and see the beauty of God in all of it. Because we are the crowning jewel of God's creation. Look around, friend. I've heard it said before by people, I don't really like going to church on Sunday mornings. I like to go out and hike and experience God in nature and all of the miracles it has to provide. And I say, I like to go to church on Sunday morning about, around a bunch of screw-ups and experience God with them. That's the miracle. <laughs> that we all... Get, bring this energy and love to one another where we experience the presence of God. We have the gift of the good sensation of moving. Think about how it feels to be able to move, to look, to blink, to smile, to swallow. The ancients used to say that life is a sign that God is closer to us than our breath. Enjoying the small things in life allows us to be grateful for what we have. There's a TV show that I love and a podcast that the TV show creators have that I love even more called The Meat Eater. Anybody watch or listen to The Meat Eater? I figured you did, Tyler. <laughs> I knew you did. You have to. You might think, just by looking at it or watching the previews, that it's a show about hunting and fishing, and you would be correct. But it's about so much more than that. It's about enjoying the process. There was a time in my life when I was like ultra competitive about hunting and fishing. If I went fishing with somebody, I wanted to catch more fish and bigger fish than they caught. And if I went hunting, I wanted to make sure I at least harvest, harvested something so I could go back and brag to the people that didn't, that I did. And if I didn't, I felt like some sort of failure, and I put lots of pressure on myself about it and forgot to enjoy the process. And when you watch or listen to the meat eater, you are continually reminded it is absolutely not about the end result. It is only about the process. And friends, that is life. Life is not about the destination, as they say. It is about the journey. 
And oftentimes we get caught up in thinking about the destination and it causes us to hoard our things and hoard our time and protect everything that we've got because we're afraid that it's going to be taken or that in the end we won't have it. But we have a God who loves us and provides for us abundantly. <coughs> we hear messages that make it hard for us to remember those. We work hard and deserve some comforts and rewards for our sacrifices. Wealth equals success. Rich people are greedy and poor people are lazy. We can say things like, we survived the depression or the recession or the great recession because we tightened our belts and made sure that we took care of what we already had. But the other way of looking at it is, none of that stuff matters that much anyway because God is with us, protecting us and giving us all of the things that we actually really need in the first place. But not all of the messages that we hear in the world are negative. Some of them are good, and I am of the belief that if you hear something good and true, it is from God, and you should grab it and hold it close. And if you hear something that's false and is detrimental to good life for all, you just push it away and reject it. So some of the good messages we hear are things like, we are blessed and thankful. Money is a tool for generosity. Morningstar received a very generous gift from um, a foundation that I know the people who kind of run the foundation and actually put it all together. We were given $40,000 to cover our youth ministry. There's a chance that it will cover, continue coming in over the next five years to equal $200,000. The people who run that foundation, I heard, a couple, I heard the male of the couple say, I was sitting down having lunch with him one day, and he said, Ross, the greatest thing about having money is that you can give it away. And at that time, I thought, well, you're a millionaire. But we all have it. And we can all give it away. And it's good for all of us. Take care of what you have. And it'll last you a good long time. Friends, I've been wearing this jersey every Super Bowl Sunday <laughs> for like 15 years, I think. One of the greatest things we can do is use what we've been given to celebrate, make friends, and create community. Our resources can allow us to make memories and to build deeper relationships. But I wonder, I wonder about this. What do we want the next generation to think? Whether you're 12 years old and in sixth grade, or whether you're eight years old and in third grade, or whether you're 15 and in high school, or whether you're 20 years old and you're in college, or whether you're 85 and retired. What do we want the people who are younger than us to remember and to be thinking about when it comes to these sorts of things? I want this. I want the younger generations to know we have enough. I want them to know that we can make wise choices. I want them to know that they should avoid unnecessary debt like a plague. I want them to know that they should enjoy what they have before they try to acquire more. I want them to know that you can make, fix, or repair almost anything if you know the right people. That we can use our resources justly to bring about a better world than we currently have. And I want them to know that they should live and work and play and have fun, but don't work to live. 
this week, you're going to get homework again, Tuesday afternoon. The first exercise that I'm going to ask you to do, it's an exercise in recognizing all of the things that you've been given. I'll attach a poem to it by one of my favorite poems called Three Gratitudes. And the poem explains that every night when she lays down, she says out loud three things that she's grateful for. And sometimes it turns into eight, and then 15, and then 22. And then she falls asleep, waking, thinking about all the things she's grateful for. But this week, I'm going to give you a list. It's going to be food, clothing, shelter and safety, relationships, health care, transportation, education, and recreation slash leisure. And you're going to rank them by, for example, food, lacking, adequate, luxurious. And your satisfaction with what you have, yes or no. So you'll get to do that and spend some time thinking about the things that you have, how much of them you have, do you need more, do you want more, are you satisfied? And then you might experiment with keep, keeping a daily gratitude log and a celebrating your abundance with your friends. Then comes the hardest step. The hardest piece of the homework, at least for me, is to think about the things that we worry about. I'm a worrier. So when I was on the airplane flying to Los Angeles a few weeks ago, it was about the time that all the news was crackling that we were about to have a war with Iran. Remember that? Like, remember back when that happened? So I'm on the airplane somewhere probably over Phoenix, and I thought, I'm going to Los Angeles. What if there's a terrorist attack while I'm in Los Angeles? What, what if Iran somehow is able to get a missile to hit Los Angeles and I'm there? And I, I'm telling you, like this irrational freak-out fear happened, and I was like, I can't turn this airplane around. I can't stand up and tell them I don't want to go get me off the ride. Like, I'm on this thing, and I don't know what I'm going to do about it. And so I started praying. And I would like to tell you that the fear went away. So what I'm going to have you do this week is you're going to have five steps to this project. The first one is list the things that you typically worry about. Like, I don't typically worry about terrorist attacks. I'm just using that as an example. Stop looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> so list out the things you typically worry about. And then list next to them worst case scenarios. If I get off the airplane and there's a terrorist attack, and I get caught up in it somehow, worst case scenario is I don't get to get in touch with my family to tell them that I'm safe and to check on them. So then what? Like you start working it out and you find out that what you think you're afraid of isn't that big of a deal. So, no surprise to you, probably I'm afraid of spiders. I was at church camp with a youth group about 12 years ago. I'm laying down in a bunk and I'm looking around and I'm like, this place isn't very clean. I bet they haven't vacuumed the corners very well recently. When's the last time they sprayed for bugs? They tell you that spiders get in your mouth and will bite you. What if a spider bites me in the mouth? What if it's a brown recluse? And I don't know, my cheek starts rotting away. Like I just irrational, crazy thinking, right? And so I finally get up and go for a walk and realize that's dumb. That's not going to happen. So work out your irrational fears, or even your rational fears, to their worst case scenario. And then we have to name our disordered attachments. So real talk, I have this fear that 
I'm going to just like continually swing and miss in preaching. And then after two weeks of bad sermons, you won't come back. So you know what I do? I write my sermons and I preach them. And I trust that if they're bad two or three or four weeks in a row, you're going to come back because you're not coming for me. You're coming because you connect with God somehow in this space. But if you have a fear of natural disasters, leave your house without your survival kit. Like, face them. Take them on. So I'll give you an assignment on how to help you name your disordered attachment. But friends, I want you to hear the words from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. It starts with, the Lord is near. Emmanuel, God with us, the Lord is near. Friends, the Lord is near. All the other stuff can be forgotten, but I'll remind you, it basically says, hey, the Lord is near, and whatever is worrying, whatever is bothering you, pray about it, talk to God about it, bring a petition, and guess what? The peace of God that transcends all understanding will overwhelm you in Christ Jesus. Philippians doesn't say, bring your petition to God, lay it out there what you're worried about, and God will fix it. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, hey, you're worried that your electric bill, your, electric, your lights are going to get cut off because you haven't been able to find the money to pay your electric bill, and you lay that down before God, and then all of a sudden the money's going to show up. It doesn't say that. It says that the peace that transcends all understanding will come over you. I thought I missed it. We, I, I was coming home from Albuquerque the other day, and I was thinking about, like, this is the year 2020. Like, today, Super Bowl Sunday is... 0202020, like front and back. And if Andy Reid wins, it'll be his 120th or 220th win. There's like all these twos and twenties, and it's going to happen, but that's beside the point. <laughs> I was like, we should have done something as a church around 2020. Morningstar 2020. Vision 2020, something like that. I was like, man, we missed it. But we did it. I wonder if we can collect between the three services that happen here every Sunday and the one service that happens in Truth or Consequences every Sunday, 2,020 answered prayers. Think we can? Do you think between us we can collect 2,020 answered prayers in the year 2020? <clears throat> I do. I do. And it's not doctoring, it's not juking the numbers of how prayer works. Prayer, according to Philippians, is when you pray about something and you find peace, answer the prayer. Sometimes you pray about it and whatever you're praying about happens, answer the prayer. Sometimes you're praying about it and you get the sense of like, oh, this isn't going to happen, answer the prayer. Sometimes you get the sense as you're praying like, hey, it's not going to happen yet, but don't give up. Answer 
sometimes you can be driving down the road and you look west and east and there's something amazing to look at. Answer prayer. So what I want us to do, I want you, and we're going to figure out a way to collect these as a church, but you've got to start doing it as individuals now. When you recognize an answer prayer, write it down. Because we're going to collect them and we're going to have some way to show physically all of the answered prayers in the year 2020. And we're going to collect them between this congregation and the Methodist congregation in truth or consequences. And my guess is, by Thanksgiving, we'll have finished filling in this 2020. And we will have experienced 